Hello and welcome to episode 14, which is episode 16 actually, but who's counting? So, uh, I am Rasquatch, King of Jobbers Court. Uh, like always, I am joined by my two gentlemen of the round table, uh, the man of a thousand and four nicknames, and the wise old owl of wrestling. Uh, we're going to be going old school today, just like these first couple episodes, it's just going to be the... Uh, the three of us today to talk about some topics that uh, we feel are uh, kind of burning within our minds, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So um, topics today we're going to cover are professional wrestling versus sports entertainment, which is going to be a, a comparison, the differences, pros and cons, everything. We're going to throw all that out there. And then uh, next we're going to talk about who in today's current crop of talent has potential to reach legend status uh, 20 to 40 years from now. Then we're going to break down the Houksters match of the instant classic match of the week, which is HBK Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair, his retirement match from WrestleMania 24. And finally, we're going to be doing our fantasy booking. We've got the Hardy Boys versus the Rock and Roll Express, so should be a good one. How are you gentlemen tonight? I am outstanding as always. Cedric? I'm doing great. Doing great. Just just going through <laughs> the the old part of the wise old owl. I had another kidney stone passed to this this week, so I'm doing much better now. Oh, Thanks wow. for asking. Get well soon. Jeez. Jeez. That's At least you got some good R&B music out of it, right? Ah! Oh. <laughs> you should have no-sold. You should have no-sold that kidney stone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put it over. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. So um, I know this one could take a while because I think we're pretty passionate about this one subject, but uh, – I want to get into professional wrestling versus sport, sports entertainment. Um, obviously, before I give my opinions on it, I want to hear what you guys have to think. So, Alexander, um, why don't you start us off and talk to us about, just in general, your thoughts on pro wrestling versus sports entertainment. What's the difference to you? All right, for... For me, there there is a difference between pro wrestling and sports entertainment. For me, pro wrestling is just straight athleticism. It's two guys in there putting on an exhibition of strength, speed, and intelligence in order to entertain a crowd. It's all about the in-ring action. Sure, there's always been a storyline there to help sell tickets, but the main attraction for pro wrestling is, uh, is what happens between the ropes. Uh, on the flip side... Sports entertainment is the spectacle, the ooh, the odds, the pop. It's the music, the promos, the storylines, and the over-the-top personalities. Um, when it comes to comparing the two and saying which is better, or, you know, sports entertainment versus pro wrestling, uh, I remember a few years back we had uh, John Cena and Daniel Bryan going at it, and Daniel Bryan has a, a promo where he says, you may be a good sports entertainer, but I am a great wrestler. And I understood where he was coming from when he said that. Um, but really, you, 
they go hand in hand for me. They're they're two sides of the same coin. Without pro wrestling, sports entertainment really wouldn't have a platform to lift athletes up to superstar status. Or we wouldn't have it reach that mainstream popularity that it has right now. And then when you flip the coin over, sports entertainment without professional wrestling, or without, sorry, without sports entertainment, professional wrestling probably wouldn't be a thing anymore. Uh, for me, eventually, whether or not Vince McMahon spilled the beans or not, uh, the word was going to get out on whether it's a legitimate contest or not. Um, so you got to have something else to draw them in other than just what's going on in the ring. When it comes to pro wrestlers, some of the, the big names that immediately pop out to me are Bret Hart, Lance Storm, Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko. You know, it could be argued that a lot of these guys really weren't mainstream entertainers or people that had exuberance amount of charisma, but you put them between the ropes and they're going to put on such a great show for you. Now, we also have had some great sports entertainers that really probably weren't great wrestlers. And for me, the number one name that comes out as a perfect, or a, not a perfect, but a great sports entertainer, but not necessarily a good wrestler, will be Hulk Hogan. Now, this is made the man that, to me, probably single-handedly saved pro wrestling in the 80s and 90s. And if you pulled a thousand people on the street who are not wrestling fans, and you say, who is Hulk Hogan? They say, oh, he's a pro wrestler. But when it comes to actually in the ring, Truthfully, the guy's got four moves. Punch, body slam, big boot, leg drop, and that's it. Unlike Bret Hart or Arn Anderson, you don't really hear people talking about how Hulk could work a submission move or work an arm to the point of pure agony. So I would say he was more of a, uh, a great entertainer. Some could even argue The Rock and maybe even uh, John Cena. Um good entertainers but not necessarily good wrestlers I, but the sports entertainers are the ones who are selling the tickets they're the reasons that uh, you know you, you pay the money uh, Wrestlemania 3 Hulk Hogan's body slammed Andre the Giant that was the big event that was the huge spectacle that was the big money maker however if you go back on the network and watch that match it probably really wasn't that great of a wrestling pro wrestling match not nearly as good pro wrestling as comparing it to Randy Savage or uh, versus uh, Ricky Steamboat on that same card. So there's definitely a difference there, but to me it's the same side, or two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. And with that, when you have a great pro wrestler who is also a great sports entertainer, that's when you get the, the big money makers and the guys that really keep fans invested for the long haul. Uh, the main guys to me that are both great entertainers and great pro wrestlers, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Ron, Randy, Macho Man Savage, and The Undertaker. Uh, again, all great wrestlers, but also great sports entertainers. That's, uh, that's all I got there. What do you think? Hmm. Well, before I, I have Cedric answer, I just I want to disagree with you slightly on Hulk Hogan. Um Mainly because I've seen a lot of his uh, his matches from pre WWF days. So even during like his uh, some of his WWF time, he went and he wrestled in Japan. There's a match out there with him and Antonio Inoki. He could wrestle. He could grapple. He could chain wrestle. He could he could do that. Um, 
but because he wrestled in America and he used an American style of wrestling, um, he didn't rely on anything except for brawling and then the leg drop, you know, boot, big boot. Um, mm-hmm. But I've seen Hulk Hogan do an insiguri. I've seen Hulk Hogan work a uh, like a chicken wing. I've seen him work an arm lock. I've seen him work, you know, so. He could he could wrestle for sure. It was just a skill that he never, in America, never had to use because the American audience didn't didn't see the need for him to do those types of moves. He only needed to do five moves, so he only did five moves. Um, so I, gotcha. I, I, I disagree a little bit with you on, on Hulk Hogan. Um, the rest of it, I, I hear you. As much as I love Bret Hart, I know he was. I rem, I remember uh, Shawn Michaels making fun of him, saying he's putting him to sleep, like whenever he would talk. On the on the microphone and stuff like that, and yeah, he wasn't the wasn't the greatest promo guy. He wasn't the greatest what uh, wasn't the greatest when it when it came to charisma, you know, outside of the ring. But he definitely could get it done in, in between the ropes. That's why, like to me, um, Daniel Bryan's a good example of kind of an all round. Um, the guy could be very entertaining. Obviously, the the crowd was just drawn to him, um, and then also he could put on great matches no matter what. Uh, in today's wrestling, obviously you've got uh, AJ Styles on the pro wrestling side, you know, versus someone like The Miz, who's pretty much a pure entertainer. And then you have whatever you have in, in between those two is sort of, you know, where you can kind of draw that line. But uh, Cedric, your thoughts on pro wrestling versus sports entertainment, sort of the differences in the two and then after that we'll we'll get into some some additional stuff with this but just the differences in your opinion all right before before i start um how do you have anything else no man that's really it i uh i've never seen any of hulk hogan in japan so i might have to look that up um um most of what i've seen of hulk hogan is pretty much what most of america has seen the uh that no selling son of a gun comes back up and just beats the hell out of everybody. So that, that's why I, I place him in that category. But I'm gonna have to check out that Milky match. That, that sounds pretty legit. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, just piggybacking off of that, I, I think that's one of the one of my concerns, if not complaints, of when it comes to how when you come from a, a different company or different style and you come to the WWE specifically you get your style changed so much to and molded to that to what they consider to be i guess the best style that just what just what happened like you just said how you know if, if you don't if you don't reach out to pre-wwe for some wrestlers unfortunately what you see in in the ring as, as a wwe wrestler you'll be like man this is not what i think it should be you know but then all of a sudden like Rasquash said, you go and extend to another branch of another company, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, why did he never do this? You know, who, who knows what the truth is behind that? Probably more being told what to do, but who knows? But going back to the topic, um, I think the, the biggest difference, um, how pretty much covered a lot of the things that I would have said, but in different words, uh, for me, pro wrestling is just that, is wrestling. It's just like Hulk Stanley said, it's what you see in the ring. The story is told in the ring. I'll give you an example. I I, I recorded like two months worth of Ring of Honor. Uh, was there a story with 
the different characters? Yes, there was. There were stories, but there was never a let's go behind the scenes interview or let's go behind the scenes some bad acting or let's go outside. They're, they're fighting outside. None of that stuff happened. But there was a story because they would every now and then give a little in-ring in promo. So you knew there was something going on. But the, the biggest story being told was just the wrestling part. I just saw uh, ACH versus my, uh, Matt Seidel. And I was like, no storyline behind it, just other than the, the respect they had between them. All I had to see was the wrestling in the ring. Now, is that pro wrestling today? Maybe based on today, but for me, like pro wrestling, I kind of think of the old days, the Gagne's, the Luthas, the Bruno San Martino, Jesse the Body, the, the old, the, the older guys that even though they were flashy and whatnot, because some of them showed you sports entertainment, don't nobody, don't nobody tell me superstar Billy Graham didn't show you a little bit of that with his in promo. But it was all about the wrestling. It was more about what was going on in that ring. And these guys were going from region to region fighting. And there was none of this pay-per-view or this social media, none of this stuff. So it was what you did in the ring. And I think with the advancement in technology, little by little, pro wrestling started becoming secondary to sports entertainment. Like you guys just said, The Rock, for example, the Rock is a good wrestler, I think, but he's most known for his promos, his comments, his his chemistry with with the audience, his his quick thinking uh, comments that he will give back to someone. Even Chris Jericho, as great as he is in the ring, he too is he. I think he's a total package as well. He's great in the ring, but the man can sell a fight. His promos are great, and that's what for me sports entertainment is the oohs, the ahs, what attracts folks when somebody says. I don't remember what happened in WrestleMania, but I do remember Shane jumping off the, the cage. That turns the sports entertainment part of it because some might say that there's no skills involved in that. There's obviously a lot of risk and the guy's courageous. Obviously, I don't care what airbags anybody saw that to, that could have gone wrong easily. Uh, an inch to the left, an inch to the right. Who knows what could have happened? But for me, sports entertainment is just that it's, you're trying to attract folks. That might not be fans of wrestling, so how else do you attract them if not flashy entrances, flashy characters, stuff that they're gonna find entertaining? And for us old school guys, you know, give us wrestling, give us good chain wrestling. I, I miss it. I miss the days of William Regal. I think William Regal is one of the best chain wrestlers that I've seen him. I think he had a fight with Chris Benoit once that I was just I. It's an amazing match for those who want to see true chain wrestling. So that to me is the kind of difference between professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Okay. Yeah, I um, I don't have too much to add from what you guys have already said. For me, when I look at when I look at pro wrestling, I pretty much say anything past 1993, it's pretty hard to really get a look at what pro wrestling is because um, it seemed like that's kind of when the whole business kind of started to change but interestingly enough I was listening to uh, to Jim Cornette the other day and he was talking about how um, Vince McMahon had you know exposed the business with what he talked about during the Attitude Era and insulting our intelligence and those types of things and what I found interesting is he said, everybody 
always knew something was up with with pro wrestling. I mean, everybody knew something was up, but he said the the biggest thing was you protected it so people didn't know exactly how it worked, exactly what was going on, you know, what the secrets behind it were. That's why kind of like a magic trick. Yeah, that's why he said it worked. It's because people knew something something was going on, but they didn't know behind the scenes. They didn't know exactly how it was going down. Could these fights be pseudo real? You know, is some of it real, is some of it not real? What exactly is going on? You, you know, and so he said that back in the day that even he's like even going back into the 50s. <laughs> the stuff was still, you know, being done that way, and people were suspicious. Real fighters were suspicious of it and kind of knew something was up, but they couldn't tell you exactly how they did it. Once the business got exposed completely, now how are you supposed to sell a product? Um, in fact, I look at it now, UFC is doing a better job promoting fights, I think, than, than wrestling is, and they learned it from wrestling. A lot of those guys now, they've got the, you know, not necessarily the face and heel thing down, but they definitely have that cocky, arrogant um, guys who can entertain now and promote a fight versus, you know, a person that's that's just a strong fighter. There's a difference there, too, and you talked about it. Those guys sell tickets. Uh, you, uh, Jose Aldo, those guys, they don't have a lot of pay-per-view buys, um, but the Conor McGregor's do. And, and that's, you know, it has nothing to do with their skill. It has more to do with, I want somebody to shut this guy up because I've had to listen to him talk for, you know, the last three and a half months. He's done nothing but run his mouth. I can't wait for the dude to knock him out. And then when he comes yeah, out, I like he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I think that anytime you're, you're in a business of selling tickets, um, then you you have to have that ability to entertain and to promote, regardless if the outcomes are predetermined or not. And I think MMA is learning that and has almost went back to an old school feel with the way that they promote fights. I I kind of wonder sometimes why wrestling doesn't doesn't do it that way um, anymore. But uh, I guess just in the differences between between pro wrestling. And sports entertainment, I think you guys have, have covered pretty much everything. I'm trying to think if there, if I have anything really additional to add. To me, it was always um, your your pro wrestlers were the were the guys that weren't gonna be pandering to the crowd. They were the guys who were gonna get in, get their business done, get out of the ring. Your entertainers were your guys who were gonna do what you know, kind of feel off the crowd. Like Ric Flair, people talk about his technical wrestling. I haven't really seen um, a match with Rick where he's a really good chain wrestler or a good technical wrestler. He's always pretty much been a chop guy and a knee drop and a figure four. You know, um, if somebody has a good one for me to watch, let me know. Um, but primarily, you know, he he wasn't that chain wrestler, but he fed off the crowd, and he knew when the crowd wanted him to do something, and he said, you know, he could just feel it when he had to make that comeback, or if he was the heel, he just knew when he would have to get heat and when to allow the, the face to, to over, you know, to overtake him for a while. 
Um, and so that, to me, that's sports entertainment. When you're feeding off the crowd and you're adjusting your style, then you have, um, on the flip side of that, you got, you got guys like, um, like Bret Hart that would just go out there. They really didn't do too much to the crowd. He would do a little bit, um, when it would come to like applying his finisher or like when he'd lift their legs up and like stomp into their midsection, stuff like that. He would sort of interact with the crowd, but generally he just got in, did his, did his business and got out. Um, there wasn't the long setups for his move that like, uh, HBK's, uh, sweet chin music would always drive me nuts. Cause I'm like, the dude can hear him stomping 19 times while he's waiting for him to stand, <laughs> you know? So sometimes it's, it's how much do I have to suspend my realism to believe it? That's the difference to me between pro wrestling and sports entertainment. Thoughts? Uh, I dig it. I like the, uh, the analogy you took from, uh, from Jim Parnett. I'll have to check out that video. Yeah, I have to know. I just I remember seeing. I just was searching through videos the other day, and I just saw Jim Jim Cornette had a thing talking about how, you know, uh, but he talks about all kinds of stuff. Um, not not safe for work stuff. So I end up having to watch it at home. <laughs> but, yeah, but is he uh, still involved with Ring of Honor? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I know he just he does his own podcast now. I've heard it's pretty good. Um, just like kind of like a straight. You know, it kind of shoots it straight on everything, but he's one of those guys who still thinks it's 1985, so sometimes it is hard to listen to his opinions, but if you want, like, an old-school opinion on something that, you know, that's, he's kind of the guy to go to for that. Um, so, flipping it back around real quick, um, do you have a preference on, on which you prefer more entertainment versus more of the pro wrestling or do you like the mix and match of both? What is it that you guys prefer to watch? Well, for me, uh, like I said before, it's two sides to the same coin pretty much now. Uh, I don't really see a guy getting too over without it. I really don't see him making it very far without that charisma. I mean, you got guys arguably, you know, you got kind of maybe some guys like Finn Balor, or uh, AJ Styles, who are fantastic in the ring, not so much on the mic, but even then, like you don't have to be good on the mic to be a good entertainer. Like they, they know when when to call the spots, they know how to how to pop the crowd. Uh, case in point, Finn Balor's entrance. That, if that's not sports entertainment, I don't know what it is. Cedric, what do you think? Uh, I was I was gonna say quickly before I answer that I was thinking about what you said about the UFC and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just not not even not just go back a little bit of, uh, over a decade ago. One of the biggest sellers, Tito Ortiz, the guy had the ground and pound skills. He didn't have the full the total package of what an MMA fighter is today. Mm-hmm. But the man could sell. He he had the whole heel thing. He loved the crowd, but he didn't care to be booed either. He will flip anybody off. Hmm. And I think Conor McGregor is another one who has the skills, but again, he doesn't care. He'll remind you how much money he's making. And he's even, he even has a feud out of Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon right now going on with Dana White. So you want some sports entertainment in the UFC world? There you go. The guys are feuding and you also, and you want a stable? Nate, Nate, Nick Diaz and all the, and the Mary, Gilbert Melendez and all the guys in that camp, that's like a stable right there. So if you want to see some wrestling entering the MMA world, that's pretty much it. But um, 
I I find myself more attracted to wrestling nowadays. You know, do I like a good entrance? Yes. Do I like good commentating? Yes. Do I like someone who can be witty on the mic? Absolutely. But I prefer just straight straight pro wrestling. That's that's just me. The 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 holds, the old school, the ground game, the the lucha style, the more um, technical style, the Europeans or the more strong style from the Japanese. I even even the more the mixture of all of it in in a lucha underground. I really just like wrestling. The I I like a little bit of entertainment, but for me nothing more nothing more entertaining than a good match. So I really I just I really prefer just more the wrestling part of it. See, I'm just caught up in the in, in the realism. Um, I don't I don't mind like you. Know, you know you'll you'll laugh at maybe laugh at this analogy, but have you have you guys seen Nacho Libre, the movie? Nacho. Oh yeah, hundred times. But anyway, I love that movie, times. and my my kids love that movie. So, I love that movie because Nacho is a perfect example. So when Nacho starts getting going, he turns his back and and he starts trying to celebrate. Well, what happens to him? The other guys come up and just beat him up because he's got his back turned to his opponents. And I love that because it shows you the the guy can is trying to to be entertaining and he's working the crowd, but at the same time there's enough realism involved that his opponents aren't just gonna lie there and let him gloat. You know, they're gonna get up and they're gonna they're gonna beat him up because he's not paying attention. Um, things like that in wrestling are are really what I um what I really like about it. Like uh, I remember watching. I can't remember who who Nakamura was wrestling now, but I remember he would he would try to do his you know his where he he'd put him up against the ropes there and then kind of like you know try try to show off and they they were having none of it like the whole match they would he would try to do something they would just stand up and then he he'd kind of laugh about it because they they would no sell all of his his entertaining you know stuff he was trying to do he wouldn't he wouldn't they wouldn't just lay there for him so he could he could embarrass them. Um, I like I like any time that you know any time that there's there's the realism aspect and sometimes I think that that's why I have a hard time watching um, some of the lucha underground stuff because some of the lucha style to me it just doesn't look like if I was in a fight with somebody uh, I I can't see a guy doing a hurricane rana <laughs> you know like if if I'm gonna go in and I'm trying to to wrestle or fight a guy. Um, I could see a head scissors. I could see, you know, a lot of the submission stuff that they do for sure. But a lot of the high flying tornado DDTs, you know, stuff like that. Where I'm always, I'm kind of like, eh. So sometimes that that style to me is 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 difficult to watch. But I enjoy entertainment. But I only enjoy the entertainment side of wrestling if it's if it's done in a way where it it's re- looks realistic. The more realistic a person can look offensively, and the more realistically they can take. They could sell a move. That's what I'm interested in. So, um, you guys have any, in, in, you guys have any other thoughts on uh, any type of uh, any any other maybe people you want to mention for sports entertainers versus wrestlers? Um, maybe going back to the the 80s and, and 90s. Um, that type of thing, or do you guys uh, have anything else for the subject? Who do you got, Cedric? I kind of already named off my guys. 
if I think old school guys that that I might consider sports entertainment, and maybe not so old school, but you know, a ravishing Rick Rude, you know, he can sell the entertaining part of it. You know, the guy could wrestle, but it was more about entertaining before that match. You know, his match, his whole hype in the match starts with his intro and the things that he would tell the ladies and and the guys, calling them pigs. <laughs> but um. Today, you know, it's it's almost like Enzo and Cass. You know, to me, that's sports entertainment. Yeah. You know, there's there's truly, even though I I never really I I haven't seen and I will eventually because I want to see what the hype is. I I didn't really see the the beginning of them on NXT. I saw them more towards the end as they were transitioning to go to the main roster. But and I've read online people saying, my gosh, you know, they've gotten better. So I can only imagine how they must have looked at the beginning. But that's that's sports enter- that's sports entertainment. People yeah. are just attracted to that. It has nothing to do with the wrestling because it's his look, it's his mannerisms, it's his talk. That's really what it is. And, and to me personally, I think at some point people are gonna get a little bit bored of it. That's just me. But uh, but for now, I, 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 people just eat it up. That's that's to me sports entertainment. Yeah. And like and like I said, you know, the Jesse the Body Ventura man. Just his in-ring presence, the way he walked in with all the, you know, his his look, superstar Billy Graham. Some of these guys were wrestlers, but it almost it was a mixture of both. But when it came to like sports entertainment, I, I think, you know, like I said, you know, Barrison Rook could, could shoot. Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh damn it! I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking yeah, about it. Said he can he can wrestle, but the guy could still the darn thing. That shake rather and roll made me thought it hurt. But golly, shake. Rattle, get out of the darn thing. You had two tries <laughs> to get out of it, but you went for the road yeah. and you and you lost to it. So that's sport that's sports entertainment. Old school wrestling, but still more sports entertainment than anything else. To to me, yeah. the ultimate warrior in his purest form is is the oh, yeah. one of the best sports entertainers ever. And that's He doesn't get much credit. He he really doesn't um but <laughs> People people consider him one of the best of all time. He really didn't wrestle very long, honestly. It's just he resonated with so many people, and that's just a tribute to just pure charisma that he did have um, and his intensity and the strangeness of his promos and how different you know everything was with him. But um, Jerry Lawler talked about it on his podcast with Chris Jericho not that long ago where he worked one of the – you know, first matches that he worked was uh, the Blade Runners, so it was Sting and, and the Ultimate Warrior when they had just started, and he said they were mm-hmm. literally not trained. <laughs> so he was like, "You're you're literally out there trying to figure out like, you know, how to work with two guys who had no idea how to actually wrestle." Um, and so I always found that interesting because yeah, Ult- Ultimate Warrior as as a wrestler stinks. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I he, he from a wrestling perspective, he's just he's just not not very good. He was an athlete um, and definitely entertaining in the ring, but he's not that guy that I want to watch go a half an hour. I want to watch him go ten minutes, regardless of if it's a pay per view, <laughs> whatever you know. Um, like him and Hogan's match was good the way they did it, but if you watch that match. My God, they were in a Greco-Roman knuckle lock for literally five minutes of the match. Yeah. And you're like, holy, you know, 
So that 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 match was pure entertainment. There wasn't a lot of wrestling going on in that match at all. So that's just one name I I would throw out there um, as as far as just being more of a pure entertainer. Coco Beware, um, could throw him out there. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan wasn't much of a wrestler, but he was a pretty entertaining guy. Um, so just you know, like we talked about a few examples of some, some older school guys. So the, the entertainment aspect of it's always been out there. It's just, I think it's more in your face now and it's a, a bigger, um, necessity in today's wrestling than it was yeah. back in the day, at least in the United States. Yeah. To me, a big name is Jabba Sport. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, listeners of Jabba Sport. If you want to see a good modern-day feud that I think symbolizes pretty well of what we're talking about with the sports entertainment versus pro wrestling, go jump on the network, go to NXT, and watch The Revival versus Enzo and Cass. And I think you're going to get a very good representation of pro wrestling versus sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can agree to that for sure. Now, Cedric, what were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, I have I might not have seen every single match of his, but I have seen quite a few matches of his. Sting. Sting to me, he's not a technical wrestler. But the man reinvented him he knew when to reinvent himself as a character. And people would just go crazy with him. From the first sting persona to the last one when he became, you know, the crow. To the and I'm amazed he even mentioned it in his speech, his Hall of Fame speech. The Joker. To the crazy thing, the Joker thing in TNA, he knew how to sell his persona. He had his wrestling moves. Don't get me wrong, and but it wasn't the most technical, you know, you know that drop kick. Even in his younger years, <laughs> it was Cena esque, kind of. It was no Randy Orton or or AJ Styles perfect drop kick, but it was more about his persona, just the little kids. Love the whole Sting persona, the gold flat top and just the beach body, whatnot. And then all of a sudden, the crow, it's mysterious way. So a lot of it was not just what was happening in the ring. It was was happening outside of it. You know, his promos, whether it was the screams or just the silence with the just pointing with the bat or going crazy with the makeup in TNA. So no, that's, a, that's a big name to me. That's it's crazy. Yeah, that is... But, that is a good point. My favorite Sting is when Sting would wear the Sting mask. And so he had the Sting mask on, and then he'd pull off the Sting mask, and it was Sting underneath the Sting mask with Sting makeup on. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen yes. those? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, those kill me every time. <laughs> Wait, who is it? Oh, it's Sting! Oh, it's Sting! <laughs> but he just took off a Sting mask. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, this just cracks me up too much because I started thinking about it again, and I, I remember watching those going like, what the hell is going on? Um, Sting's a good example, though, because honestly, to me, Sting was John Cena, you know, before John Cena existed. Um, he he had that look. Kids loved him. Women loved him. And, you know, that's that's really where John Cena's niche is. It's just That just shows you how different the audience is now versus the audience back in the the 80s and 90s but all right cool um 
I think we've we've covered that. Some some pros and cons are given some good examples. Um, differences there for Pro versus Sports Entertainment. You guys got any last takeaways before we move on to the next topic? Move on. Instead about gold dust. <laughs> <laughs> gold dust. Although he's kind of a mix and match, he can do both. So mm-hmm. he's kind of an all rounder. Mm-hmm. So and he definitely doesn't get enough credit. Although, although we put him over on the show once already, so at least he's got yeah, that I'm going on. for him, you know. Um, okay, so kind of staying on a topic of sports entertainers versus professional wrestlers, um, we're going to say top wrestlers right now, um, I guess we'd have to say more mainstream so so some people would know. You can include, I guess, Japanese guys if you want, um, and then, you know, the, the Mexican wrestlers, British wrestlers, whatever you can think of, but who do you think... 20 to 40 years from now, people are going to look back and and still be remembering and still be creating on WWE 2K35 or 45, whatever it is. Um, who do you guys think are some good examples? Cedric? You know, that, even with the time that we've had to prepare, I really found that one to be a little bit difficult because... I think of today's wrestlers, and, and I'm trying to think more like the modern ones because I, I really think that once everything is said and done, obvi- obviously they're older folks right now. Obviously the Takers and the Triple H's and the Ortons, definitely, and even Cena's gonna have his place. But I'm trying to think more of the younger, the younger generation. Like who right now can I see? has potential for that. And um I'm not gonna steal I'm not gonna steal Hulk Standis because he will kill me. I'm gonna let him say that one. Um Thank you. You know I think if with a proper push and allowing them to be themselves, I know AJ Styles is older for for the rookie when it comes to WWE. And I really hope that his body, you know, stays strong and he got some really good ones, some really good years. Uh, I can see an AJ Styles being talked about it because he, not just for WWE, but for what he has done overall. Obviously, we have Daniel Bryan. I think Daniel Bryan, his, just the way the storyline played out, definitely, and, and on, the, the way the storyline played out towards the championship, and unfortunately, his injury will also catapult him to a point where people will probably look back and see some of the stuff he did pre-WWE, and he might be talked about in, in that level. And the Finn, I think Finn Balor has the has the, the potential as well. I think some of these newer guys that, that can wrestle can be talked about at, at that level. I'm not sure if a Roman Reigns would ever be at that level. I can see a Seth Rollins because a lot of people – did really play into Seth Rollins and, and his and his character, and it's unfortunate his injury came came about. So there are a few guys I think currently in the WWE that if you allow them, and, and like I said, I want to mention the older schools because obviously you know Jericho and, and and some of the guys from that generation, you know whether they're wrestling now or not, they're definitely going to be talked about 10, 20 years, 30 years from now. But from the newer guys, I, I think if you allow those names that I mentioned and maybe even a few few or more to just be themselves 
if you book them correctly, if you if you advertise them, sell some stuff correctly. I I, I don't see why why people wouldn't talk about them. Even even a KO, a Kevin Owens, and you know, and, and a few others. I don't want to mention too many in case you guys have have a few that I, I might mention. But yeah, there are a few guys I think that if you let them, and I'm and I'm sticking to WWE. Definitely, there's yeah. a whole bunch of more like Nakamura is definitely, and some of the guys over there, Okada, uh, Tanahashi. Those guys definitely if if people see what they do there for that company and 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 other indie companies, those guys already are in their own right celebrities or stars, or and it's just gonna keep growing once they cross over to WWE as as Nakamura did. So, but yeah, that's just that's just a few that I think if given the time and and the proper booking, they they can and and obviously they're healthy enough to to have a good few years and title runs. They definitely can can be legends down the road. But old school legends, man, those are just those are just unique. The, the, I'm gonna steal what I heard in, in in Dancing with Dancing with the Stars. What one of the judges, Len, you know, these legends are like eclipse, like an eclipse. They don't happen often, but what they do, when they do, they're unique and, and beautiful. And, and and some of the old school guys, that's what they are. And I think some of these younger guys can can be the same. Um. Yeah, when when I took a look at mine, I, I tried to focus on individuals that were under forty, and so like that was sort yeah. of that's sort of what I was I was trying to do when I took a look at it because I think that most of the guys that are wrestling past their forties are mm-hmm. almost near legend status as it is. Obviously, Kane, Undertaker, Jericho, Orton, um, Cena, who's not quite forty, but I think all those guys. You kind of got to lump in already. So I tried to consider guys who were two or under forty. I don't know if that's what you guys were looking at too, but that's sort of what I did. Hawkster, what do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I looked at a lot of guys who were, uh, I guess, still kind of making their name uh, potential that I can see. Because yeah, talk about guys like Chris Jericho, John Cena. Their their legacies are already there. Undertaker, Kane, Big Show. Their, their legacies are made. I don't think anything they do now is going to hurt their legacies going forward. Uh, but for me, there was four names that really popped. And uh, we already talked a little bit, Cedric, about uh, Seth Rollins. To me, I think this guy is excellent. I, I think whenever he comes back, potentially he could be a, a very likable, lovable face. Mm-hmm. We've already seen how great of a heel he can be. Uh, but to me, he's got both sides of the coin. He's got charisma up the wazoo, and the man is a ring general. Like he can do just about anything in the ring. Even though he is, I guess, somewhat of a smaller guy, he's a tall guy. But as far as like girth and build and whatever, he's kind of a small on the smaller side. Um, but I really kind of see him as a mix between Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho, as far as his showmanship. He's got he's got the total package. For me, as long as he remains healthy, I can see him at the top of the card for a long time. Uh, another guy you talked about already is Kevin Owens. Uh, I love that he's that in-your-face, kick-ass kind of guy, but he can also grab a mic and just pull you in. And uh, I think he's he's another one of those guys that could really be a top name in the industry for a long time. Um, just what he can do in the ring. The guy, to me, is kind of like a mix between... Brock Lesnar and Bam Bam Bigelow. Like, he's stupid agile for his size. You look at him and you wouldn't think this guy can do a gorgeous moonsault or a 
freaking springboard moonsault for that matter. Uh, but then he's also got the pro wrestling, you know, just the down and dirty, grind it out kind of style as well. I think he's got something that a lot of fans on both sides of that sports entertainment pro wrestling fans can really like. Uh, but who I think may just be the face of the company four to five years from now, and to me that's Sami Zayn. He may be a little one-sided when it comes to his personality of what we've seen so far in WWE. But look back to some of his ROH stuff, some of his indie stuff, and to me you can't find a more lovable underdog. To me, even more so than Daniel Bryan. Um, he's He's got in-ring ability that'll make your eyes pop. He can tell such a great story in the ring. He'll grab a mic and he's a little weak, but I think that'll come in time. Um, but I think he's that guy who could definitely be the face of the company. Very likable, um, very marketable look, very marketable gimmick, uh, very, I guess, uh, realistic, very relatable. And uh, you may not hear a lot of this, but as far as like when it comes to Cena being re- re- Cena's replacement, the guy's already doing a bunch of stuff with the Be A Star program and a few other charity organizations too. Um, it just hasn't quite leaked out as mainstream as some of the other guys that are at the top of the card or middle top of the card. Um, but I think this guy's stock is just going to go up and up and up the longer he stays in the company. The last name I want to mention, and to me this is very dependent on how he's booked from here on out. Because the way he's been booked for the last couple of years, I think he's on a one-way street out of the out of out of the WWE if something doesn't change, and that's Bray Wyatt. The guy has super charisma on the mic, probably the best talker in the company, as far as someone who hasn't been there for ten plus years already. And the guy's a wordsmith, and I challenge you to find a better wordsmith in the company. But the stuff he can do in the ring. Not just his athletic ability, but his storytelling in the ring. Like, I think he could be that guy that could possibly replace The Undertaker once The Undertaker finally hangs up his boots for the last time. Whether that's already happened, I don't know. Um, but for Bray Wyatt, I really think it has to be on his booking. Uh, if they start pushing him more strongly and turning him into that monster character that we all wish he could be, I think he could definitely have the potential 20, 30, 40 years down the road to be a big man as well. And that's what I got for my top four. Okay. Um, this one was really hard for me because it's hard to look at a current roster in any company and go, this person is going to be a legend. That was very, very hard for me. The, f- the first yeah. name that popped up for me was the great Kali. So, no, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dude's wow, really? But, uh, but no, <laughs> full of Miz. Really? <laughs> really? Really? I mean, that chop, man. I mean, oh my you know, God. nobody could survive it. I mean, what, what are you supposed to do? But, no. Uh, really? <laughs> the dance, man. Forget the shot. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways. No, seriously, the the first name that that came to my mind was Seth Rollins. Um, I think he's the guy to me is the most exciting guy to watch. In in fact, uh, there was a couple of his matches last year when I I thought I didn't really care for him that much because he he did still need some work on the mic. But I think really who doesn't you know, um, he 
but when you watch him in his matches, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be a really popular face because his style, like he hits a great frog splash. He's very strong for his size, like unbelievably strong for as big as he is. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect him to, you know, be able to catch John Cena midair, you know, do the things that, that he did um, with, with John in a couple of those matches. So I think that guy is definitely outstanding and it, you know is going to be part of the future you know of of the company um some other guys that that i sort of looked at and i i don't know if you guys will necessarily agree or not but to me jay lethal is a guy that oh gosh, e- even though even though people may not you may not ever see him in 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 wwe i think you will eventually but I, he's a guy to me that I'm never going to forget Jay Lethal just because of his, his work as Black Machismo and then also <laughs> his his work with Ric Flair with some of the promos yeah. that he did with Rick in TNA. I'll never forget those in my entire life. So he's one of those guys that – and I look at the, the progression he made from Black Machismo to what he's doing now in Ring of Honor, and he's one of those guys who I, I can foresee, you know, being a – a legend in in wrestling um and even if he only has a cult following i still think it's one of those things where he'll be around and talked about for a long long time um one that didn't get mentioned from a, another perspective is honestly i think new day is going to go down as one of from a tag team perspective biggie and kofi and then also xavier woods is sort of a mouthpiece and so i think those three guys are going to go down as one of the legendary tag teams, particularly of this era. Um, there's very few tag teams I could look at and go, you know, those guys are going to be remembered down the road. Well, they're they're one of them. In fact, I think they're in such a dominant position as a tag team. That's why they really haven't been working that much. Well, besides Kofi's wife getting ready to have the baby, which she had the baby, by the way. So congratulations to Kofi. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I think I think they're the guys who. Are out of everybody in tag teams in the, in this era from 2010 and beyond, I think it's they're they're one of those teams you can look at and go, you know what, the, those guys I think are going to be remembered for a long, long time. Um, other than that, man, it it started getting really hard after that. Uh, but uh, another one, I think that if He's improving so much, I think, and he's very entertaining, and the crowd loves him, and that's Dean Ambrose. But I really believe that in order for him to be like, in order for him to be highly successful down the road, then we're gonna have to get to a non-PG era for him to really shine. Um, because of his Brian Pillman-esque tendencies, his uh, mixture of like Terry Funk and and everything else that he kind of adds to that. Um, I don't think in the current product that they have out there right now that it really caters the best to his like really quirky, really weird um, kind of personality. But he's still young. He's still got a lot of years left in him to, to perform. Um, so I, that's kind of it. I don't know about your guys' thoughts on any of those guys, but those are those are kind of my breakdown when I started thinking about this and going, you know, who – who am I going to remember 20 years from now? Those are kind of the names I think I'm going to remember. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with you on both New Day and on uh, Dean Ambrose. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of internet fans and probably some fans listening to our podcast right now. Hi, how you doing? Uh, that uh, 
or Cody complaining and say, hey, you never mentioned Dean Ambrose or arguably you never mentioned Cesaro. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Cesaro. Uh, I'm one of those guys on the Cesaro section signs when I'm sitting on my couch. I, I love everything this guy does. And I think he's getting better and better and better. Um, one of the main reasons I didn't pick him for my, my top four is I think his marketability, at least for now, is kind of limited. And this may sound prejudiced, and I apologize, but I think it's the fact that the man is the Swiss Superman. His, his thing is, you know, he knows five languages, and he's, you know, he's very diverse, but he's not, to me, one of those guys that I could see as the face of WWE. And don't get me wrong, I would love to see him as world champion. I would love to see him getting a strong push and a strong, long storyline. Um, but if you go back to the Stone Cold Mr. McMahon podcast from uh, almost a year ago now, I think. It might have even been longer now. Yeah. But uh, I, I can definitely see where Mr. McMahon was coming from when they had that talk about Cesaro. Again, don't get me wrong, I love Cesaro. I love everything he does. But I can kind of see where he might be uh, a four or five year flash in the pan. And I hate saying that because like, it hurts me to say that because I love him so much. But I I guess I just can't really see him breaking that ceiling, so to speak. It, it's just hard because when I think of, if you look back at all these legends we named, these guys we were talking about, they all kind of have one thing in common, and that's presence and charisma. Um. And so, when it comes down to it, I'm trying to think from a from a legend perspective. I look back at legends and go, okay, who do I think of that's a legend that didn't have very much charisma? Bret Hart is one of them. Um, and then from there, like Bam Bam Bigelow, actually, I, I a lot of people consider him a legend, and he really wasn't that charismatic, but he was probably the most athletic, best-working big man maybe ever. Um, but other than that, like, can you can you guys think of, of any guys who didn't have a lot of charisma that, that are considered legends today? George the Animal Spew. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was all charisma. That's, yeah. that's, I mean, that's honestly. Thing. And a green tongue, but continue on. Mm. Yeah, go ahead, Cedric. I'm sorry. No, don't don't lose your thought though. But what, what I was gonna say right. was that when when you compare the old school legends to even the names that we've mentioned today, it's almost it was really difficult because I think more than just I don't think it's that they're gonna be legends. I think we're gonna remember them for some of the stuff that they did. But even those guys that we've mentioned. Especially with, I'm not. I, there's not really that many companies right now that can that could possibly grab them from the WWE. To be honest, outside of going overseas, but I think even the New Day and, and, and some of these guys, they're gonna be folks that they're gonna have good years, and then that's about it. it it's the other guys that we mentioned is almost like they were legends because of the territories that they were part of and. In the names that they were even before they joined the WWE, and then the WWE knew how to book them, and and it was just like a, it was just watching the app today. I was looking for for just matches on our 
on the tag teams that we're gonna gonna talk about, and I could not stop watching the other fights that were gonna happen, especially the ones on Roy's War and Monday Night Raw and and, and some of the stuff. I was like, wow, all the star power that these this company had. Today they have a lot of athletes, but I I just don't know how many folks have that star power that these guys had 10, 20 years ago, and and that's that's why I was I was finding it really difficult to mention names in a legendary status like down the road. I think there's gonna be guys that we're gonna remember, but when compared to these older guys that we consider legends, it's almost gonna be like those guys will still be like in their own level of legendary status, and. But I did like I like Jay Lethal. I think he's gonna be a really good wrestler. He's gonna be, he see he is a good wrestler. He's gonna be talked about. But someone who's not under the forty, but is above, but unfortunately never touched WWE is a Christopher Daniels. That guy will be talked about in the indie circuit for years to come, even after yeah. he's done. Unfortunately, if he doesn't touch the WWE, many WWE casual fans will have no idea who the guy is. But the guy is a legend already in his in his own status right now among indie wrestlers so but see curry man he runs into the he runs into the same problem um that <laughs> yeah, i'm just messing with you but he just he, he was curry man but anyway he runs, yeah, yeah, no. he runs into the same problem i think that a lot of guys do he he's kind of a black hole of charisma he's he's not he's not a great talker so he doesn't have mm. those memorable um i mean Maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, I've watched quite a bit of TNA. I've seen quite a bit of what he did in, in, in Ring of Honor. And he, he never struck me as like that. I gotta watch this guy. He wasn't like an abyss to me who like to was a really good performer, I think, in, in that, in, in that company still is, but, um, or he wasn't like an AJ Styles. He wasn't on that level of like presence or charisma for me. Um, he was always kind of, below that so to me it, it's kind of one of those things to where it's it's just it's very hard to judge it's just i'm stuck in maybe it's just because i'm stuck in an era where like move for move i don't know if anybody's gonna beat mr perfect except maybe bret hart you know and yeah. that that I, I look at that and go okay if any guy on the roster today wrestled mr perfect who could who could hold their their weight against him Seth Rollins could do it. Um, I think a guy like Kofi Kingston could do it. Um, you know, guys like that that could that could hang with somebody like Mr. Perfect or that could hang with somebody like Bret Hart. Um, but then I look back at it and go, you know what? Was it just those guys that that made the other talent look good, or <laughs> or was the talent just that good that was also working with them? So I don't know. Just a lot to consider when it comes to, to thinking about legends, but. If you guys yeah. aren't if you guys aren't mentioning the great Kali, I think you're wrong, because um, he obviously <laughs> he's obviously a legend of wrestling, former world champion. You know, oh he'll always be remembered. Oh yeah, he will definitely be memorable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Honestly, I think he's probably more memorable in a better light than Sebastian Booger. But people still remember his name. Oh, geez. But that's one of the worst gimmicks ever, though. Bastion Booker. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we talked about him on our, I think we talked about him on our gimmick episode. I mean, he's no yeah. Mantar, but he's up there. Um, ugh, Bastion Booger. Grody. Yeah. Just thinking about it. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. 
Yeah. One uh, one last quick thing I want to say, uh, and when it comes to you know Hall of Fame or legend status, um, you look at John Cena and everything that he's accomplished, the amount of fame and and wealth and su- just success overall that he's accomplished. He started his wrestling career in the exact same place at the exact same time in the exact same gym in California as guys like Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian. Some of the guys that, I mean, yeah, Samoa Joe is now in the WWE. How long did it take him to get there? Yeah, guys like Kazarian and Daniels who were indie darlings that, you know, never really made that big time except for, you know, maybe if you go to Japan talk about Curry Man. Yeah. But uh, they all started at the exact same place, same gym in California, even before OBW. And just look at the the span of where they are now. It's deep. Frankie Kazarian was in the WWE, though, at one point. Yeah. I think Christopher Daniels had a dark match in WWE. Yeah, I think they, I, I think he, he, I know he's had a dark match before, for sure. And sometimes one has to be careful because it, I, I remember, um, what are their names? The Briscoes in Ring of Honor. Somebody was dogging them out. You guys think you're so good and you've never even been in the WWE. And I remember them saying, who in the world has told you that we haven't been contacted numerous times to join? Yeah. It's just not yeah. the right time. So yeah. what, a lot of, a lot, what's that? They're chicken farmers. They, they, they like their home. They don't want to leave. <laughs> you know, so a, a lot of these guys that never made it, that one one could say, because I, I think I think every indie wrestler's dream is to be at some point in the WWE. But if it doesn't happen, that should not be the the thing that completely defines them, because some of them have made it just to be turned into a a jobber, or just to be turned to something. That really doesn't define them. So, but I do, I do see where you're coming from, though. At the same time, it's almost like it's like a, the double-edged sword. It, it depends what side of it you want you want to talk about. But yeah, I, I do see what you're saying, though. It's it's crazy to believe we're Cena to the level the man has gotten. It's just crazy for somebody who pretty much has always been known as can wrestle, but yet look where he's at. <laughs> I think. One last thing before we move on, but you know, you know what I think hurts is the fact that because WWE doesn't have that competition. If you look back to the 90s, you had WCW and them were neck and neck. So when it comes to legends, you had a lot bigger talent pool of, of guys who were over at the time. Plus, it was the most watched era in wrestling. Um, if you go back before that, you get into the territory days where the territories were all sort of competing and they were still kind of pushing the WWF at the time to get better. Mm-hmm. So, like, the legends you're having from the late 80s, NWA was still around, AWA was still around, you know, and they, they were sort of pushing the, the products. Those legends would have, you know, occasionally show up here and there, but, you know, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, a lot of those guys aren't, they're, they're known more for their NWA stuff as opposed to what they you know, what they did, the little bit they did in WCW or, or, or WWF. Um, so I think 
the Freebirds marriage to WCCW? Yeah, I I think a lot of it. That's the problem is because there's no competition. So the only thing we're comparing them to is WWF guys versus WWF guys. There won't ever be that like, what if Goldberg took on Stone Cold or, you know, what if just just whatever. I mean, I think it'd be it'd be pretty awesome if we got to see much like Ring of Honor does with New Japan and you get to see the the talent you know coming together. But we, I think we're going to talk about that on an upcoming episode. So I'll save that. Well, the heck, even last time we talked about. Uh... AJ Styles versus Chris Jericho, and now we've seen that match what four times, five times. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that wasn't they, that good. They were all good. It just it would have been awesome if they could have done it five years ago. <laughs> Manny Pacquiao Mayweather. <laughs> yeah, when when Chris yeah, was yeah. you know before Chris was forty five and AJ's <laughs> pushing forty, um, it was mm-hmm. it'd have been nice to have had that when they were both in their prime. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's why Undertaker matches has lost a lot of its appeal. Yep, and that would have been one that just, I mean, you could have blown the roof off with a match like that too. Or even uh, Abyss turned down the opportunity to come to WWF and to wrestle the Undertaker. I think that that could have been one of those ones that, that could have sold a lot of tickets too. But um, all right, guys. So this week we have uh, Hulkster has selected a match for us. Um, and that is our instant classic match of the week. Um, I like that name. The Eichem Atwa. Eichem Atwa. Be careful, man. It sounds like something else, man. Hey, maybe I just... The Fed's behind us. Yeah, maybe something. But So we've got Shawn Michaels... Versus Ric Flair in his retirement match at, at WrestleMania 24. Now, Alex, I know like this is kind of your match, so I'm going to let you probably pick up on this last and, and kind of fill All in right. the blanks. Cedric, um, why don't you go ahead and talk about the, this match, your your opinions, your feelings on it. Oh, my gosh. See, this is one of those matches where I think feelings took over emotions took over versus the whole critiquing if if that makes sense from the from the preview of it when when they discuss you know Shawn Michaels talking about him being um Ric Flair being a hall of fame and then all of a sudden they're showing all these little vignettes of when he when Ric Flair was younger even though he still looked old he was younger uh and saying I'm never gonna retire and then Mr. McMahon saying you know if you lose your next match you're done and then the whole cell between Ric Flair and him in the ring where he's, he calls him old yeller, I'm going to take you out, and Ric Flair slaps him. Fast forward into the into the match itself. As I was watching the match, I compared it to the Shane McMahon-Undertaker match. Was it the prettiest match? No. Was it the best moves? No, it wasn't. We had a guess that really, really bad mouth the Undertaker Shane McMahon match because he could not see the reasons why to it. This match, I could see a lot of people saying the same thing. But to me, it was one of those matches that you got to stand back and just see for what it's worth and just respect it. Enjoy it. And at the time, it was supposed to be a Legends Farewell and, and last match. 
So when I sat down and I watched it, I cannot deny. Sorry, Jabber's fans, Jabber's course fans. I teared up. I teared up, especially when when you see that Ric Flair is on the ground already crying before the super kick comes in, and you see Shawn Michaels say, you know, I'm sorry and I love you, and then after the three count, he embraces him, and you see the man crying, and, and the man continues to cry. One thing that Ric Flair always had was passion and emotions and a true love for the business. So at, at the time, as I'm watching this, thinking to myself, I know that afterwards he, he wrestled, but just thinking that at the moment when I watched it for the first time, he was not going to wrestle again. For what it's worth, it was a great emotional match. It might not have been the best. The, the two flips, sense of flips that are, or flips to the, towards the outside that Shawn Michaels did were incredible, especially the one that he hit against the announce table. That was, that was crazy. The hit that he took. But it was a great match, and I, and I and I must say I might not be a big fan of Suplex City, but I can take a left turn and go to slap the chest City because definitely I could see Ric Flair slap the chest 50 times, and just the sound of it, I'm still amazed that somebody still has a uh, a chest in place because the man can really just slap the 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 chest of the hairs out of the chest of someone, and just seeing him jump off the rope finally, he jumped from the third rope and and into a plancha on, on, on Shawn Michaels. I was like, finally, even the crowd just jumped and erupted. So, again, like I said, was it the prettiest of matches? No, but just the feeling and the emotion and just, just the respect towards it. And almost, instead of us saying thank you to him, I think it was his way of saying thank you to the fans. So, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I, I think I, there's not too many matches today that gave me the same satisfaction after watching them as this match did. Yeah, for me, I can tell you it's a goosebump factor. Anytime I can watch a match and I get those goosebumps, and I mean, I'm never going to forget that. So for as much as Shane McMahon and Undertaker, and I really like that you use that as, as kind of an example, for as much as I, I thought the match was eh, kind of overall, um, the spot that he does gave me goosebumps with him climbing up top of the cage and, you know, doing his thing. In this match, a few things that just made, this match made me laugh, like out loud, made me smile several times, and then it made me cry at the end of it. Now, is this a five-star classic? Like what we saw with AJ Styles Nakamura, and then even with with Mick and, and Triple H, no. It's it's not on that level from a wrestling perspective. But if you want a match that can draw something out of you emotionally, this is a match to watch. Um, so, my kids would often watch this and wonder, like, you know, who is this really old guy wrestling Shawn Michaels? Because they weren't too familiar with older Rick Rick Flair, they've they've seen Rick Flair from like the early '90s and stuff, but they hadn't watched a lot of when he was older. And I know that they sort of set through the match, and then by the time you get to the end of it, like they're like, you know, why is he so sad? And you know, then you have to explain, um, well, this is, you know, this is his last match if he loses, and you know, when 
when he did when he did lose, I was able to watch the ending with them. You know, his his big thing, their their big thing was, um, I feel bad for him. <laughs> you know, and it's like we don't feel don't feel bad. The guy wrestled, you know, for a long time, but it even got an, like an emotional response, I think. And to me, I guess sometimes you gotta sometimes a match is is just a match, and you you don't you don't watch that match for the the technical wrestling in in this instance i just i watched this match with two guys who sean would say rick is the absolute best ever and rick would say sean is the absolute best ever and they just went out there with uh you know all of the um all of the respect that they had for one another in, in this match um i loved everything like leading up to it and uh i was obviously it's one of those matches you you could watch. I remember watching it live, and um, that was a little uncomfortable, uh, to be honest, because uh, there were five of us watching it and uh, trying to eat pizza and chicken wings, and like five grown ass men crying, like <laughs> try, not even trying to hide it toward the end of that match either, just wiping our damn tears, and then of course getting the the, the chicken wing sauce in your eye. That's what you're gonna blame it on. Um, but uh. But man, I'll I'll tell you, you know, there there wasn't a dry eye. Brings a tear to my eye. But anyway, there were, there wasn't a dry eye in the entire room, like when we watched this live. And that's five grown men, all sitting around a TV, just just crying for Ric Flair at the end of this. So, oh no, it it still still makes me emotional. So obviously, must have been a hell of you know must have been a hell of a match one way or the other. Um, Cedric. Once again, you talked about it though, man. When he when he hit Sean with that crossbody, dude, I laughed so crossbody. hard because I said he, <laughs> fin- he finally hit the damn crossbody off the top <laughs> rope. I couldn't yeah, believe. Like how many decades? Yeah, I was, I was like, the last time I seen him hit one, I think was in '91. But anyway, yeah, it was just that 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 was one of the moments that that really made me really made me chuckle in in, in that match. But uh. Anyway, all right, we've taken up enough of your time, Hawkster. It's your match. You tell us about it. All right, well, you guys already kind of spilled the beans a little bit. Uh, for me, Shawn Michaels was always my favorite wrestler, and the more I became a wrestling fan, the more I got invested in Ric Flair's past. And you said it already. Ric Flair, his retirement match, he's like, you know what? This if this is gonna be my last match. I want to do it at WrestleMania, and I want to do it against the best professional wrestler to ever lace up a pair of boots. And in his mind, that was Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels, on the flip side, and no, you're you're the greatest man to ever lace up a pair of boots. And I don't want to be the guy to make you retire. I I don't want to be the man who put Ric Flair down. And you know, after a, a little while, you know, eventually he came around. And yeah, that old Yeller promo I thought was pretty good. Um, but the build-up to this match was very simple, very pro wrestling-esque. You know, you got two greatest of their era mashing it out in one final bout. So very simple. But when it came to the match itself, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't no wrestling clinic. The build, pro wrestling, straight up. Simple, straight to the point. But the match itself was all sports entertainment. And as I mentioned on the uh, the post-WrestleMania recap, for me, when it comes to WrestleMania, it's all about nostalgia. It's all about the spectacle. And 
that promo that they have right before the match starts, where it goes, you know, flashback through Ric Flair's greatest moments. It's like, man, this this guy is the man. And he's always said, you know, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man. And uh, I, I love the slow start. You know, we're just trading off a couple wrist locks, trading off a couple slaps. Eventually, Shawn Michaels catches him with an elbow. Ric Flair busts his lip open. He just looks at it, wipes it off. First blood, brother. All right, let's go. And then that's when it starts picking up. You know, it spills to the outside, those two moonsaults from uh, from Shawn Michaels. And on the second one, not the one where he hits the table, but the one where he's on the outside going up towards the ramp. God bless Shawn Michaels for his showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania type of personality. Because... Ric Flair did not catch him at all. Like, he barely got a hand, maybe a wrist on Shawn Michaels, but he just straight flattened on the floor. And by the end of this match, you know, they're both super, super tired. And uh, when Shawn Michaels goes to hit that first sweet chin music and he stops, and, like, it's only for a split second, but just to me, when that happened, time just stood still. And I'm like, he can't pull the trigger. He can't do it. Oh man, like that's when I started getting goosebumps. But without a hesitation, as soon as that split second time freeze was over, Ric Flair locks him in the figure four. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And there was a moment right there where I actually thought Ric Flair was going to beat him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's, he's going to tap out, he's going to tap out. And he finally breaks free. Ric Flair manages to get him in a second figure four. He manages to break free. Shawn Michaels puts him in the sharpshooter. And that's when you get that super tiring and that's when I start feeling for Ric Flair. I'm like, oh man, it's over. It's over. And then, um, that first clock with, uh, with Sweet Chen music just kind of comes out of nowhere. And as soon as he hits him with it, Ric Flair goes down. I'm like, that's, that's the end of it. Like, that's the end of it. It's, it's over. And I'm just starting to, I'm starting to well up right now watching this. And for me, when I watch this live, that was the second time I had ever welled up and teared up during a wrestling anything. First time, and the only time prior to that was when Eddie Guerrero had died, and that wasn't even during a match or on TV. That was just watching the news the next morning. Like, oh, no, Eddie Guerrero's dead. And so technically, I guess, in-ring action, this is the first time I had welled up watching the product. Yeah. But when Shawn Michaels stood up, started tuning the band, Ric Flair, you know, that that ever-classy, strong, proud Ric Flair getting up to his knees, waving Shawn, come on, come on, I'm not done yet, stands up to his feet, and then, I'm sorry, I love you. Bam, one more kick, and that's in. And then they just had that little hug right there at the end. Like I, I completely lost it. And again, yeah, like as far as put this on mute, don't watch any backstory. You have no idea who Rick Flair is or Shawn Michaels is. And yeah, maybe, maybe a three-star match being generous, but the nostalgia of it, the, the history behind both men, and just a perfect way for me to cap off Rick Flair's in-ring career. Now, granted, you know, he, he went on to do stuff in TNA and come back to WWE. But forget all that ever happened when you watch this match. 
to me that I don't I could not book a better way. I don't think anybody could have booked a better way to finish that career. Like I I loved it. Well, I know I did I did too. I definitely if we we can't have emotional matches like that every week though. I don't know if my heart can take it. Um, yeah. this, this one definitely had me like just like just really one of those ones that, that can really suck the emotion out of you. Um, but uh, all right, so we've covered our match. Uh, anybody got any last minute takeaways? Woo! Woo! Oh, oh, me? Okay. Oh, I thought you guys were calling me. That, that's, that's wow! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 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 I just the one the one thing that I found amazing was you know he. He left all his little dirty tricks from the poke to the eye to the low blow. And he even did his famous vertical suplex, even at his at his age at the time, to right. see him do that vertical suplex and hold them there for a little while. You know, it speaks it speaks volumes of the man. The man is the man is still the man. He, he still is. And that's crazy. The day that he's not the day that he misses from this from this earthly wrestling ring to the big ring in the sky, you know. I'll be a big blow for wrestling, but uh, the man is who he is. He's a great. He is a. He is what a legend is, that, that, and that is the truth. Well, from a legendary singles wrestler to a couple legendary tag teams, we're going to be doing the fantasy booking today for the Hardy Boys versus the Rock and Roll Express. Pretty good matchup because I think they they kind of get compared sometimes um but uh cedric do you want to take us wrestling 101 and and talk about the rock and roll express Alrighty, rock and roll express let me open the the big book of knowledge that's actually a little green notebook but it's quite the big book of knowledge here (laughs) (laughs) rock and roll express if if a new if a new or a casual fan of wrestling would ask me like who are these guys I would just say think of the Rockers before the Rockers think of the even shoot even the Hardys before the Hardys but but definitely the, the best one will be the Rockers the Midnight Rockers because if, if any if any time you could see an almost mirror image and style and everything that will be them and Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson at this, this, um, for this moment, that, that was the name, specifically that's the team that we're talking about, because it seems that Rock and Roll Express almost was like a, kind of a stable in his own right. There were others that yeah. pretty much tagged with them, with, under the name or, 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 or variation of the name, but for this, for this point, it's Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson. What, what can, what can be said? Just by, just by mentioning this, 35 times, I mean, 34 times they wore tag team belts around their waist. Four times with the NWA and at least 10 times with Smoky Mountain Wrestling. If that's not saying something, I don't know what is. When you say that you were managed by Jim Cornette at one time or Pauly Dangerously at another time, and that in that era, that w- those were two big names when it came to not just promoters, but as managers. So when you're, when you mentioned you've been few, some of your biggest views were Midnight Express or the Four Horsemen. All right. There's, there's really not much more to say. That Only that, just that alone pretty much 
that's your track record right there. Two guys that for the time, very quick, actually quite quick. For they, they might not have the cruiserweight body types that some of the guys have today, but they work quicker than most of their opponents. Very technical. Um, I was very surprised. I saw at least five other matches. And I try to stay away from their big feuds. I try to stay away from the bigger matches. I just wanted to see who they were just under the normal matches. And I'll be honest, they had an aggressive side to them that you almost didn't realize these are the faces <laughs> in this match. They were pretty aggressive. They would talk smack to the opponent. And a lot of tagging in and out, which is, you know, staying fresh at all times. But work the body part. Excellent. You know, something that you don't see too much today. Talking about professional wrestling versus sports and entertainment. You don't see that much um, today. Just they stuck to a body part and just continuously wore you down. And even though their finishing move wasn't the prettiest, but definitely by the time they did a double drop kick, if you want to believe in wrestling, yeah, if you've been worked constantly nonstop by two gentlemen who are, who are pretty fast and pretty strong, then definitely, you know. So their style was very technical, very quick, very aggressive, but yet controlled, very and a good tag team. And at the end, you know, just, just overall, one of those tag teams that goes up in legendary status because of what they did at the time that they were wrestling. Cool. Yeah, that's a, it's a, a good breakdown just overall of some of their accomplishments. I Ten times champion in any one location is obviously really impressive. Uh, Alkster, your thoughts on the Rock and Roll Express? All right. Well, sticking with the theme of pro wrestling and sports entertainment, these two were very strong, very gifted, very versatile pro wrestlers. But at the same time, these guys were game changers. In a world of big men, slow moves, these guys brought entertainment to it. They were the rock and roll express. They were high at high energy, big attitude, big rock and roll 80s hair, and they were also a freight train in the ring. Like These guys, you could kind of argue that they were some of the pioneers of sports entertainment and how they could get the crowd going. Like, these guys were, you know, we, we talked and joked about the uh, Midnight Express last week, you know, Loverboy and uh, beautiful Bobby Eaton, but they weren't really beautiful or loving. But these guys were, these guys were hot. They were hip. They were sexy. And, you know, even with uh, Robert Gibson's lazy eye, anyway, these guys were, <laughs> these guys were heartthrobs. I mean, Ricky Morton had a feud with Ric Flair where Ric Flair called him a teeny bopper, or called his fans teeny boppers. Yeah. That's how over these guys were. Like, if uh, if you want to kind of compare or look at some of the guys now that are really over, I think of uh, Dolph Ziggler, I think of Shawn Michaels, and they talk about their or and I, sorry, Shawn Michaels, Dolph Ziggler, Seth Rollins, and the main reasons these guys are so good is that they can sell. And if you can sell, you can make a good, successful career. Ricky Morton, probably one of the best sellers I think there's ever been in the business. In fact, if you look at some of the dirt sheets, they call selling through the Ricky Morton. That's how good of a sell job this guy was. 
And on the flip side, Robert Gibson, he was a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. He was, I guess, I guess you could argue he was the power of the tag team, but he was also just as quick and just as agile. Now, granted, they weren't doing double moonsaults or Santon bombs like the Hardy guys have been known to do. The Hardy guys, the Hardy boys have been known to do. But for their time, jumping off the apron, jumping off the top rope, flipping from the middle rope, these guys were high-flying in addition to their great chain wrestling and their good technical skill. Um, they, they were they were game-changers for their era. Yeah, definitely not much for me to talk about in, in addition to that. I think the one thing I noticed watching them was kind of what we talked about before what makes them a legendary tag team in my opinion was their charisma their presence their ability to to work the the crowd and Cedric I, I know exactly what you're talking about they they did have a mean streak um for sure as a tag team definitely not what you'd expect from two guys who are kind of quote-unquote pretty boys um again those 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 mullets were rocking and uh I can, I can tell you, you know, having listened to Jerry Lawler and, and the fact that he put these two guys together and, and he came up with the gimmick, and I'm pretty sure they're still wrestling, aren't they? Actively? I, think I don't know are. how actively, but I have seen quite a few things like Russell Cade, and uh, I th- I'm not sure how long ago it was, but the 60th anniversary of NWA, they actually had a match with the Midnight Express. Uh, so yeah. they're, they're definitely still putting on matches from time to time. I know Robert Gibson actually owns a promotion in Atlanta now, um, and he kind of goes back and forth between Memphis, Atlanta, and Mississippi, making a few spots. Um, Ricky Morton, I haven't heard as much from him, um, but I know they're definitely still out there. I think they're both still kissing all the girls and making them cry. But yeah, rock and roll never dies. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just I just try to try to imagine you know what they what kind of team you would have if if you had put these guys in like modern day wrestling and you know what what they would look like um man it's it's just so it's so hard to imagine this type of style even in the 90s and then into the into or late 90s and into like the era now, but I honestly think that they're a, they're a tag team that could just change their look a little bit, and they they could go in any era, any decade, um, and still be one of the best tag teams on the planet. So, all right, oh hello, but um, so uh, that was one. Of, that was sorry. That was one of the girls that got kissed by, <laughs> but the, the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> I, I, thought, teeny bobbers. I thought that was that, that was one of your, your owlings just screeching in the back there. That was good. Outstanding. it was. <laughs> oh! But, uh, alright. So, we've covered the Rock and Roll Express. Cedric, tell us about the Hardy Boys. I, I'd guarantee almost everybody, you know, listening's heard of them, but go ahead and talk to us about them anyway. Okay, the Hardy Boys that you get by Big Book again. All right, so you got Jeff Hardy. Like Blue's Clues, you got your uh, you got your <laughs> your notebook. You got your thinking cap. <laughs> anyway, <Blues> <laughs> yeah. Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy. You know, 
I guess small if you want to. 6'1", 218, Jeff Hardy. 6'2", 234, Matt Hardy. Obviously the bigger guy, but yet when you looked at him, they didn't really look like bigger guys. Uh, obviously, Jeff was the more, the more risk taker during the matches. Matt Hardy, I think you could call him the muscle. Usually when Jeff was in some kind of danger, especially early on, uh, he would tag the hot tag to Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy was the one pretty much um, cleaning house. Uh, 11, 11 tag titles uh, among them. Seven of those came in the WWF slash WCW era, if you believe, when they when both companies were together under one under one umbrella, and nine individual titles among themselves. So uh, some success, obviously, you can you can say on te- team of the year at, at a time, match of the year twice. So obviously, you know that these guys were were pretty good. Comparing them to the, the Rock and Roll Express, which obviously, as I mentioned before much more prestigious when it comes to titles and with the whole region um, tag team, you know, going to different regions and whatnot, different different companies, something that you don't see, unfortunately, in the modern era. But these guys were not as, I would say, not as quick, which really surprised me because when you compare two different eras, you would think the more modern era will see much more faster-paced wrestling. I think... Rock and Roll Express was a little bit quicker, but yet more technical, more grounded. You know, like I said, you know, it's focused on one on one body part and just keep weakening, making you weak. In the case of the Hardy Boys, their tag team in the ring was different. You had, you know, both of them had a move where Jeff would pretty much hit you low, drop a leg drop right in between your legs, hit you more in the mid, the bottom midsection, while Matt Hardy would jump from the second rope and give you the leg drop on, on your neck. So th- that was the kind of tag team that they had. Obviously, we have poetry in motion where they will whip the opponent against the turnbuckle. Here comes Jeff. You know, Matt Hardy gets an on four. Jeff comes running, jumps from his back and lay, here's your leg Larry against the rope. So against the corner. So their, their tag team in, in ring was more flashier, more aerial. Definitely Jeff Hardy was the more risk taker of the bunch but definitely a good tag team at the at the time you know I almost hate homage to two tag teams like Rock and Roll Express the more rock style the more you know almost young kids going towards more towards the girls obviously they they, they started with Gangrel in, in the brood that didn't really work out as as much but obviously when they did the whole Hardy Team Extreme Hardy Boys whatnot especially when they welcomed in Another extreme in in the form of leader that definitely gave up a, a big explosion to the to the team. So it, it's it was a pretty good team and, and I, I enjoyed them. Obviously, I think they with Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys, those were the the big feuds. And definitely, if it wasn't they elevated what Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon started. With the ladder match, they definitely elevated it to a different level as a tag team. Because some of the most memorable things that they went through was with their TLC matches. So definitely, they have their spot when it comes to legendary status among the, the WWE world or universe. Okay, uh, Hawkster, Hardy Boys, your thoughts? Uh, well, 
uh, hit a lot on it already. Uh, Matt being uh, the more grounded of the two, both uh, figuratively and literally. Jeff being the uh, the, the risk taker. Uh, honestly, I think Matt Hardy is was underrated in his time during WWE for his technical ability. Um, really, I think the guy truly is a very intel- intelligent ring general, if I can use that word. Uh, the guy could put on some great matches, and uh, and Jeff always right there with the big high spot. They started off uh, with Michael Hayes as a tag team, but even before then, these guys these guys were wrestling before they could even legally work for the company. I think Jeff actually started when he was 15 or 16, telling everybody he was 18 in a, in a match. Uh, that I don't know if it aired on TV or not, but it was a it was a match in WWF a long time ago where he was jobbing. Uh, I think it was to Razor Ramon, in fact. Uh, and he you know just got his butt slobbered on. Um, oh, that was, gross, that, dude! That was a bad way to put that. Crazy. Not Good. kicked out of him by Razor Good Ramon. Lord. That's a much better way to say that. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> but yeah, um, if you want to compare him to uh, the Rock and Roll Express, there's that move that you mentioned Jeff Hardy doing where he pulls the guy's legs up and does that double drop kick thing. I am 99% sure he stole that move from Ricky from Ricky Morton. But I've seen Ricky Morton do that move several times. Some of his matches with uh, the Four Horsemen, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, and even with the Midnight Express, he's done that move a few times. So I think that uh, the Rock and Roll Express were definitely a huge influence on the style that Matt and Jeff have. Um, I called the Rock and Roll Express high-flying, good technical team. On the flip side, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy, they had that high-flying-esque type of feel. But they're also very hardcore, very, uh, very good outside of the ring and very different. Um, they brought in a, a very unique look to tag team wrestling. And part of that was, you know, the, the triple threat ladder match at WrestleMania, which led to the TLC match, you know, with Edging Christian and the Dudley Boys. So, uh, very innovative, uh, and very, uh, very new to what we can expect from tag team. And I think they kind of raised the bar. For that new generation of tagging wrestling. Okay, um, we talked about having fantastic managers. Uh, so the Hardys had had Gangrel, and mm-hmm. then they had Lita, um, both of which were, were pretty good managers, to be honest. Um, I don't I don't know if Gangrel gets enough credit for what he did for both for Edge and Christian, and then and then for the Hardys, the New Brood. Uh, in, in their very beginnings, you know, in the company. But I'll say this about the Hardys. Um, I agree with you how the, uh, Matt doesn't get enough credit, uh, for what he did, particularly his time in the WWE. Um, Edge and, Edge and Christian talked about it. I think it was during their Stone Cold podcast where they're talking about when they would get ready and they would start looking into matches with teams. And when they'd meet up, it would be him and Christian, and they'd go to meet with the Dudley boys, and it was always Bubba Ray Dudley. Devon was never there. He didn't, he didn't really care how the match went down. They'd talk about it later. When he met with the Hardys, it was never Jeff Hardy. It was always Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy was the one that, that put those matches together. He was always the one that 
you know, kind of took the the idea of the, the way it should be booked and that kind of thing. So from that perspective, I always give him a lot of credit. The ring general is a good name for it. I think Matt Hardy had that. But looking at these guys as a tag team, um, it's difficult for me to compare um, them and just an average tag match because most of their stuff, their really good stuff was done in a hardcore environment. So in this match being a standard tag team match, it's going to be a lot, I think, a lot harder for them to, to match up with the, with the Rock and Roll Express, but they had some really good double teaming moves. They, they had a lot of chemistry, obviously, um, but what I think is most impressive is they really didn't have a lot of training. They were one of those people that, that was really self-taught. Um, Omega. So, yeah, well, yeah. Um, but I, um, I think overall, you know, I think they, they hold up to any tag team once again in, in any era. And I think that this was a good matchup, particularly when we talk about pro wrestling versus sports entertainment. The Hardys definitely more on the sports entertainment side, whereas the Rock and Roll Express, although entertaining, were more on the pro wrestling side. So very good matchup for the topics this week. Who do you guys have winning? Cedric, you want to start this one off? Alrighty, uh, I'll start it off. I think I had already thought about it, and it's just it shows how how we kind of every now and then surf the same sine wave. It's I think exactly what King uh, King Brasquash said. Uh, the truth is, I thought I, I watched up matches, and like I said, I try to stay. I, I purposely stayed away from the bigger matches because of that. You know. We obviously know the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, and the scaffolding match, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it's a big one. And obviously when you talk about the Hardy Boys, obviously the ladder match and then the TLC match is another huge one. So I, I kind of just thought about it strictly wrestling, just a wrestling move, uh, excuse me, wrestling match. And to me, I, I would give it to the Rock and Roll Express. And one thing that, that I noticed watching both of them, like I like I mentioned before, even though the Rock and Roll Express, the guys are not thought of as big, you know, Ricky Morton five eleven two twenty seven, Robert Gibson six six feet two twenty seven, you know, you, that two twenty seven was a solid two twenty seven. I saw matches of them of them where physically they look they almost look bigger, you know, than than what you're seeing. They according to their bios, their their size was so. I, I was like, you know, these guys are a little bit bigger, and it surprised me that they seem to be quicker to a certain point. Again, you know, just the the constant tag, the the constant tagging in and out, you know, that let the the opponent rest, whatever opponent they had at that moment would stay in that one corner. We've talked about this before, controlling the for, the, the ring and just keeping that person on your side, and the constant tagging, that the putting a hold, whether it was an arm or a leg or or just a headlock, they will pick a part of your body and just keep working on it nonstop. And there was an aggressive side to them. So the Hardys, that aggressiveness will stand out in those hard, in the hardcore portion of it. But these guys were just like being aggressive, just a normal match. And, and I put all that together and I watched their matches and, and I just saw how they, how they dominated versus the, the Hardys. You had them dominate for a little while, then get dominated and then the hot tag. It didn't mean that we're going to win. Obviously, we all know 
the twist of fate swanton bomb combination it's a pretty cool lethal combination for for a finishing move but they had other moves be, before getting to that again the double drop kick might have been that flashy but there were so many aggressive and, and strong moves throughout the match that when i compare them just strictly that way i felt i just felt the rock and roll express would take it okay outstanding all right well you both hit on it pretty well um very similar size yeah um you could argue that uh even though the hardy boys are the younger more extreme when it comes to high flying uh rock and roll express does have the tenacity the go-getter the the quicker pace in the ring so i think the immediate advantage in this match is definitely going to go to the rock and roll express especially when it comes to just pure in-ring wrestling ability however the biggest X factor is that Hardy Boys unorthodox, crazy, what are they going to do next kind of style. I know this is just a straight up regular two on two tag match, no, no stipulations, but you wouldn't have the Hardy Boys match without some kind of extra there in, in there. Now, both guys are faced, both teams are faces in, in this match to me, because uh, really, they were both at their best when they were faces. Um, but talking about Matt Hardy, talking about his his technical ability, his his ability to control a match, I see this going in favor of the Rock and Roll Express early. I see Matt Hardy weathering that storm, start to beat down on Ricky Morton, starting to wear him down, and eventually he's going to lead him over, get that tag to death, drop the twist of fate, Jeff Hardy climbs up for the Swanton Bomb. And Jeff Hardy has been known to make many, many unnecessary risks. And I love Jeff Hardy, one of my favorite guys of all time, but he's made so many unnecessary risks. And I think he does something a little extra, maybe flounders a little too much. And when he drops that Swanton, Ricky rolls out of the way, gets the hot tag for Robert. And uh, Robert comes in, guns blazing, knocks Matt off the mat, and uh, picks Ricky up. They drop the double drop kick, and I'm going to give it to Rock and Roll Express for the win. I don't think that unorthodox, crazy style that the Hardys have can really match the pace and the go-getter and just everything that uh, that the been that Rock or that the Rock and Roll Express had. The great Kali comes in and just beats both tag teams. <laughs> that's what we're doing. this one's going to be a clean sweep um not to say it's a squash or it's not close or anything like that in in this matchup i just think you have a a tag team that's such a prestigious one such a, a longevity as a tag team uh and overall chemistry together that in a typical regular tag team matchup they have an advantage over the hardys um and i think that their old school wrestling style would keep them grounded uh, long enough to be able to handle them uh, so without having to add too much to the conversation i'd say that it's going to be the uh, the rock and roll express moving forward so before we end the show for today um does anybody want to maybe give 
a little bit of insight as to next week's fantasy booking? Maybe a little bit what we might want to talk about? Go for it, Cedric. For next, for next week, still on the works, but at least for, as, as of fantasy booking, we're looking potentially our new darlings, our, our new modern day, new age outlaws to a certain degree. We have Enzo and Cass, and what better than to face the Luke Skywalker of the Mike, Luke Mike Walker from, from Enzo to one of the original guys. And you guessed it, the new age outlaw, we have the raw dog and Mr. Ass or Badass or whatever name he went by, <laughs> Billy Gunn. So that'll be that'll be an interesting one. That definitely will, in my my opinion, will take some good researching and just like to just like this week's matchup, it's not a squash either way. It's gonna be a very interesting interesting matchup to say the least. And I I will say I know we're gonna do we we are for sure gonna be doing something. You know we finally get to get our feelings out about about China and that whole situation. It's just a matter of what, what else we have on the, on, on the plate right now. But that's the anticipation and what we're going to be looking for for next week. And um, unless anybody has any closing remarks, I'm going to close up Jobber's Court. You guys got anything? The last thing I want to say is that I think it's a crime that the Rock and Roll Express have not made it into the WWE Hall of Fame yet. Now, granted, most of their success was not WWE or WWF, but with everything they've done and everything that you can find on the WWE Network for just nine ninety nine. You gotta they're they're way overdue. Yeah, they are in the NWA Hall of Fame though, and and I like I like the way you said it. You know, they might not have done much for the WWE, but we have started to see a trend of certain wrestlers joining the hall of fame even if their biggest contribution wasn't strictly to the wwe so definitely they should be one of those tag teams to be named sooner than later all right great comments great show guys thanks very much for being on here um we're gonna have some guests in the the upcoming shows. We got a couple that we're really excited about, but we're not, you know, obviously not gonna spoil any of those right now. But until no next spoilers. week, yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> until till next week, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, what a, what is it? Oh, so uh, I keep, you know, I keep talking about Taco John's being our being our sponsor. There's <laughs> there's a whole lot of Jobbers Court going on going on at Taco John's. And uh, maybe they'll sponsor us. That that'd be cool. Um, so I didn't want to say a whole lot of Mexican. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. That that that's theirs, not mine, for what they they promote. But uh, hey guys, thanks a lot for listening. Um, and until next time, Jobbers Court is adjourned. Thank you very much. <laughs>